Welcome to Here to There, a podcast about commuting in and around the Twin Cities and where it could go next. From Apparatus and Transit for Livable Communities and co-hosted by Laili Fatihi and Laura Mann Ginsberg, Here to There brings you along for a variety of commutes across the many systems, neighborhoods, and modes available to Twin Cities commuters. In today's episode, we're talking about the important role transportation plays in social cohesion. We begin the episode in West St. Paul on a circulator bus known as The Loop, where we ride with two individuals with disabilities who rely on the weekly bus service to connect them with their community. Next, we head to the studio, where we're joined by the manager of homeless and highly mobile student services at Minneapolis Public Schools to discuss the ways in which social cohesion is challenged when a student lacks housing stability and the many roles our schools and transit systems play in providing a solution. To follow along with additional resources and information, visit heretotheirpodcast.org and follow the H2T podcast hashtag on Twitter. And now, let's join the ride. Jeffrey, can you just give us some context of kind of where we are right now here in beautiful West St. Paul? This is Laylee, and that's my partner at Apparatus, Laura. This is uh, the Colleen Loney Manor. It is a rent-subsidized Dakota County-funded building for people with disabilities and the elderly. And that's Jeffrey, our commuter for this week's episode. Where are we going today and how are we getting there? We are going to go to Cub Foods grocery store. Time to stock up on some food. And uh, we're gonna be taking what we call the loop bus or the West St. Paul circulator bus to get there. It's a bus that runs in a loop, very set stops, you know, much like an MTC, but it's door-to-door service. Stops at all the CDA run buildings in West St. Paul, as well as, you know, multiple businesses around the West St. Paul. The loop Jeffrey and Laura are about to take is a transportation service provided by DARTS, a community-based nonprofit that provides information, resources, services, and connections that improve people's quality of life, help them age well, and enable them to engage in their communities. DARTS has been around for over 40 years. They started offering transportation services in the 70s after they started a grant program to provide educational opportunities for seniors, only to find that many couldn't participate because they had no way to get to class. One of DART's most innovative and successful transportation services is the Loop that pretty much does what its name suggests. Riders pay a flat all-you-can-ride fare to get on and off at any of the scheduled stops along a one-hour loop. How often do you both take the the Loop? I take it every week if I can. I'm new to it, so this is my, what, third time, I think? Third time. Yeah, I'm new to it. That other voice you just heard is Jeremy. Jeffrey's friend, who's joining the ride, too. So, Jeffrey, how long have you been taking it? Uh, Since it started. So this would be, what, the third year? Yeah. And And what did did you do before? uh, Metro Mobility was the only, well, that and family. Sure. You know, friends and family, whenever they were around. What's some of the notable differences between Metro Mobility and the Loop Bus? Well, Metro Mobility is schedule-based. So you call them and you request, I would like to get picked up at this time to go here and then picked up at that place to be brought back home. Whereas this is just a set schedule. You know, every half hour there's a bus out there that runs the loop and you know by the schedule where they're gonna stop and things like that. So it's very different. I don't have to call and make a reservation or anything like that. Anybody can ride it. You don't have to be disabled. 
Mm. It's for anybody in West St. Paul. Okay. There's some young people that don't have a car or, you know, maybe they're just trying to save on gas money that ride it. And, uh, yeah, so it, it is quite different. The notable difference is Metro Mobility is quite often very, very late. Oh, okay. So when I call them and say, I would like to get picked up at noon to go to the grocery store, sometimes they don't show up until quarter to one. And now I get a free ride because they're so late. I also have to plan on the backside mm -hmm. of when are you going to pick me up at the grocery store to take me home, make sure that there's enough time. In the beginning, taking Metro Mobility, there were sometimes they would pick me up so late and they would get me to the grocery store and pull in right behind the bus that's supposed to pick me up to take me home. Oh, geez. Okay. So, yeah, this is quite different because you know when they're going to be here and when they're going to pick you up there mm -hmm. and you can plan your schedule that way. Metro Mobility is a shared public transit service for individuals who qualify for its use under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Last year alone, Metro Mobility provided two and a quarter million rides to more than 20,000 riders. By 2020, the number of rides is expected to hit three million a year at a cost of $90 million a year to the Metropolitan Council, the agency that runs Metro Mobility. If you're doing the math, that in fact does mean that a single one-way ride on Metro Mobility costs $30. Reducing that cost has proven to be an exceedingly difficult challenge given the profound impact that service cuts or fare hikes would have on the growing number of people who would be stranded without it. So can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up here? And I know you have a really interesting backstory. Yeah, it was uh, September 2009. I was riding my bicycle. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, uh, working as a chef at one of the nightclubs. And I got hit and run by a car, broke my neck, ended up being a quadriplegic. When I got out of the rehabilitation center, I was living with my parents down in Hastings. I got an apartment and immediately applied for um, the Colleen Loney Manor here. It is the only building that I personally qualify for in this county. Because I'm not old enough, you know, most of the most of the CDA CDA buildings are all elderly, 55 and older. I was on the waiting list for a little over four years to get in here. What was the comparison of living in? Uh, black and white. I mean, complete opposite. I mean, I relied solely on my mother, mm -hmm. pretty much. There's not even a public bus service down in Hastings. Really? Okay. Just too far away from the metro area. Yeah. And you walk with a cane. I walk with a cane now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I need it for the balance. Jeremy, what about you? How did you end up here? I was born with uh, cancer in both eyes, and they found out at three months, which they had to remove. Well, they tried to save one eye, but they ended up having to remove both of them, so I've been blind basically since birth. Okay. And then I lived with my parents, and I turned 18, and after I graduated, you know, my took a while, like he said, but Social Security and Disability came through and I didn't have that long of a wait to sign up here. I think it was maybe a year to, uh, to get in here. Mm -hmm. I think it was a year maybe before I got in from the time I signed up. What do you think that does for the feelings of, you know, the, the free will and autonomy kind of to use it? Well, like I said, it changed, it really changed my life here. Yeah. And I know my mother was a little disappointed because she, I mean, really enjoyed coming and get it, getting my laundry to do my laundry. Of course. And, you know, now that got taken away when I moved here because there's laundry facilities here. Right. 
And I, she liked taking me shopping, and you know, we'd always stop and go out to eat, and that doesn't have to happen anymore. Sure. I mean, I know she enjoyed it, but that's a that's a long ride and a, a lot of gas money coming all the way from Hastings yeah. just to drive me three blocks to the grocery store. As far as for myself, the, the independence that I got, which started with Metro Mobility when mm -hmm. I got here, absolute game changer. Is it nice then that you can see them in kind of more of a social capacity versus, thanks for coming over, but we really got to get all this stuff done. I have all these errands that need to be run and that's our Defin time together. Yep, yeah. definitely. I won't say the only time I see them is holidays and birthdays sure. and stuff, but at least to me, I don't feel like I'm such a burden anymore. So this specific episode of the Here to There podcast is looking at this idea of social cohesion and the ways that our transit and our transportation options are essential and often overlooked when we think about how we are able to or not able to have meaningful relationships with our community, with friends, with you know, even with businesses to a degree, right? You know, being able to just get out and experience being in your neighborhood, being in the physical space outside. What are your thoughts on how just specifically that the loop bus brings people together and helps build some community? Uh, well, you'll see if there are other riders on the bus, and there should be, um, but the, uh, because we all live in um, the CDA environment, you know, we're all living in subsidized housing. We all need it to survive. And uh, it's very interesting to meet all the other people from all the different buildings. And, you know, it's not deep, meaningful conversations all the time, but, you know, you find out what their building is like you know what their living situation is i mean there there's some really really neat people that ride and i i don't want to sound weird but i love the older people they have you know the coolest stories they really do and even if we're not talking if they're just talking between two friends that live in the same building like him and i but just overhearing their conversations about what goes on in their building or you know things that they did in their youth or it's yeah it's I don't want to say it's a bonding experience, but I know people's names that live in other buildings here in West St. Paul now, and that would have never happened before. What kinds of stops are on your loop route? Besides the other CDA buildings, Cub Foods, Walmart, Target, what is that restaurant? Culver's mm. is a stop. Signal Hills, that entire shopping center actually, which is very cool about this bus too. I can get to that in a little bit. McDonald's, I believe, is on a stop this week. The Fireside Lounge, they have great food. Oh, God, they've got great food. Oh, and the Alina Health Clinic. Ready, brother? Yep. All right. Grab on. You wait for the bus, too? Oh, okay. We're going to look at apartments. Going to look at apartments. Now let's follow Laura, Jeffrey, and Jeremy as they ride the loop. Now that we're kind of out in it, I mean, how does it feel to just be able to be out with everybody else, doing your errands just like everybody else? It's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. But nice thing for me is I grew up in this area. Yeah. So I went to school at Henry Sibley. Mm -hmm. Robert Street was our hangout. You know, that's what we did on the weekends. You know, we sat in the Burger King parking lot and 
hung out in our cars and played music and you know um, so it is really cool to get around West St. Paul again and see you know places like Thompson Park we'll stop at Thompson Park too I hung out there all the time as a kid growing up and now it's just really it's really cool to know if I want to go there hop on this bus on Wednesday yeah bring your picnic lunch and chill out catch a couple of fish you know as long as you catch the last bus home yeah right in good shape there's also the best dollar store in West St. Paul. Hot tip. You heard it here first. Yes, they have a refrigerated and freezer section there really? as well. Yes. Okay, the, that's... The, the best egg rolls in the world. It's not an all-day-long thing, but, I mean, really, you hop on it at quarter to 11 in the morning, mm-hmm. come home at 3.15 in the afternoon, yeah, and make eight stops in between if yeah. you, you know, yeah. time it right. So have you made any... I know you said that you, um, you, know, you recognize people and you might have some... Mm-hmm. That was Jorge that was sitting right here. Oh, okay. okay. And he actually lives in this building. Oh, he does? Okay. Yep. So now he, kind of like we have an hour ride to get to sure. Cub Foods, so he, probably just he just took that. an hour ride to get to Walmart. And now when he gets picked up, he's going to be two minutes and he's home. But he does shopping for his entire family. Oh, wow. There. Um, I've seen him with family members once, mm-hmm. um, but normally he's a guy that, and you saw he's a big guy, mm-hmm. he carries 12 bags of groceries yeah. out of Walmart, you know, so, wow. yeah, you know, very helpful for him because, I mean, this is, he goes once a week, mm-hmm. he gets groceries for all of them to eat for a week, and this is, this is just what he does. He actually taught me how to go grocery shopping with a blind man. The he he's talking about is Jeremy. He's been pretty quiet so far, but you're about to hear him perk up when asked about his passion. He's got, he had it figured out, so now I, I mean, we got to... I don't know, a ritual, uh, we just know how to do it. You know, hop off and he pushes, I pull and... Sounds great. What do you need? Yeah, it does, it works out, it works out very well. I like seeing him get out once in a while. Yeah. Don't do that often. <laughs> no, not very often, but it's kind of cool. And I know you said something about small engine repair course or something like that. Yep. He might be branching out a little bit more. Wow, and was I this your gateway to well, I, more stuff? You, you actually you it, actually it's his a lot of a lot of it's his fault he gets me go you know <laughs> want, gets me actually wanting to do something proving that I can do it because I don't have the greatest self-confidence so I figured well this is a step up and then I've always loved like small engines I love cars even have my own yep blind man owns a car I That's don't great. do you ever use uber or Lyft I do not okay. simply because of the cost. There is absolutely no way I could afford that. I mean, there's there's just no way. Living on a fixed income it sounds strange because Metro Mobility is three dollars each way. So that four extra dollars per week adds up. It does. I mean, that's sixteen dollars by the end of the month. Sometimes that's a difference between peanut butter on toast or not peanut butter on toast. Yeah. You know, every little bit helps. I just enjoy seeing the sights that I don't get to see yeah. all the time. If I'm not hanging out with family or on this bus I'm probably at home and so this is really this is me getting out I mean look at that cool car I would not have seen that dude I think it's a 54 Ford nice what would you want policymakers to know considering they might never set foot on a loop bus you know they understand the concept whatever (laughs) but you know they're not having this conversation they're not 
on the bus with you? What right. would you want them to really think about more than just seeing it as a line item that can be like, oh, let's just slash part of it or let's just get rid of it um, or let's have it only run every well, other Wednesday? Right. Well, that's actually why I agreed to chat with you today. Hopefully to bring more awareness to this particular service and how absolutely invaluable it is to the people that, that use it. Like I say, I'm, I'm sure they don't have, you know, the ridership numbers like an MTC bus, but the people that use this service, I mean, we really use this service because we need it, you know, we rely on it. This was really fun. This is a great way to see West St. Paul and yeah, learn more it, it about is, a it, very essential service. It is pretty neat. I mean, I like I said, I, I love it. I'm glad they kept it up even yeah. after the construction. You know, I'm glad they got the funding for it. I hope it stays funded. I mean, even after I'm long gone, I so many people use it and need it. That, mm-hmm. I mean, truly a life-changing service for somebody like me. Well, I'm glad it's here. I really am. Is, well, it's, my, it's my first experience with independence, basically, you know, getting there. Yeah. studio once again and Laura's here after her West St. Paul adventure. And it really was an adventure. I was thinking that they should consider putting city ambassadors on those buses to talk about the history of the area because you absolutely see all of West St. Paul. And everyone I met on the bus, the driver included, really seemed to enjoy the ride. And you know what? I really did too. Yeah, and I really am glad that we were able to give Jeffrey that opportunity to talk about darts and and the significance that it plays in his life. Um, As we mentioned, the theme of this week's episode is social cohesion, which is the ability and the willingness of a society or a community to help one another to thrive. And that's something that's really dependent on a number of interrelated factors like material wealth and having a job or access to education and stable housing because without those kinds of things, people can experience anxiety, low self-esteem, stigma, trauma, all of which can remove people from the fabric in society and really reduce their opportunities to thrive. So Jeffrey and Jeremy showed us one dimension of that, and now we're going to take another perspective on social cohesion and go to your interview with Ryan Strack from Minneapolis Public Schools. So Ryan's the manager of Homeless and Highly Mobile Student Services at Minneapolis Public Schools, and he's going to talk about the challenges of cohesion and connection for students when their housing is not stable. In our very first episode, we talked about the achievement gap. And then in our livability episode, we talked about affordable housing. And in this episode is where we really see key facets of those issues play out with homeless and highly mobile students. So let's hear more from Ryan about what all that means. I'm joined in the studio by Ryan Strack, who is the manager of Homeless and Highly Mobile Student Services at Minneapolis Public Schools. Thanks for joining me today, Ryan. Tell me a bit about what the Homeless and Highly Mobile Student Service is. Yeah, and I'll often get the question, really, your job exists? My job in the school district is to ensure students who are homeless have a stable school experience uh, while they're experiencing uh, housing instability. 
So how many homeless and highly mobile students do we have in the Minneapolis public school system? So last school year, the 2015-16 school year, um, our team identified over 6,000 total youth and children who stayed in shelters in Minneapolis. Of that 6,000, 3,600 were enrolled in Minneapolis public schools. So we're talking about both a large number just in general, but also uh, a large portion of our students. That was about 8.3% of all students enrolled oh, wow. in Minneapolis public schools experienced homelessness at one point or another during last school year. What does it mean to be highly mobile versus homeless? So the definition we use is actually um, part of federal law. It's, it used to be part of No Child Left Behind. It's now the Every Student Succeeds Act. So it's uh, codified in federal law. And we tend to use the word highly mobile because we feel like uh, youth and families identify with that a little bit easier than with the term homeless, which I think has a lot of connotation to it. So the, the definition is really um, a student who lacks a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence. In Minneapolis, are these students concentrated in particular geographic areas, or do we really see them kind of across the district? You do tend to see uh, more homelessness in our schools um, where there is, in general, um, more poverty. Uh, tend to be on the north side, downtown where the shelters are, um, and then some of the uh, near south neighborhoods like Phillips neighborhood. Uh, we tend to see a lot of overlap with poverty in general. In Minneapolis public schools, it's about 90% students of color among those students we've identified who experience homelessness. Um, the largest demographic is African Americans and American Indians. So what are some of the unique challenges that homeless and highly mobile students face in terms of education and getting to school? So um, the very nature of, of homelessness is um, moving around a lot, and um, particular in, in Minnesota and in Hennepin County. That can mean um, hotel one night, shelter another night, uh, staying with friends a third night. And the, the biggest challenge is making sure that students can stay in their school, in the same school, which is both a requirement of federal law and also what we know to be best for that student. So there's a lot of logistics, and then the underlying trauma and stress that goes along with the experience is sort of a dangerous combination. And, and research tells us that if we want to make a difference uh, among our students, addressing the underlying issues of homelessness would be a great place to start. Is there a challenge with, with having to sort of address stigma that some of these students face as a result of their living situation? Yeah, there absolutely can be, and, and we address it on a number of different fronts. I think accommodating uh, our, our transportation system so that it isn't so obvious as students arriving in a taxi or that, you know, not picking up an entire route and then stopping at the shelter so that student gets on. Uh, we also try everything in our power to provide students with with uniforms, if it's a uniform school up front, with school supplies, and, and not in a way that is, this is a, a real priority to me, not uh, just the exact same backpack for every student is to say, uh, you know, I'm homeless and I received this backpack from a program, but, um, you know, up-to-date style of backpacks and school supplies so that, that it is um, destigmatizing and um, not recognizable. So I think that's really the work of our school is wrapping around a student and figuring out what are all the things we can plug in um, so that this school is um, a place where you're like any other kid, not having, you know, such a unique experience. Tell me about the role that transportation plays in the lives of these students. If their living situation is unstable and often changing, 
How do we get them to school and to the same school every single day? Without a, without a magic wand to uh, find housing for students, we're left with just one way in getting them back to school. And, and that either means a school bus being rerouted to a special place. It may mean a particular contracted company such as a, a taxi or van service. It may mean a, a metro transit bus pass for a student who's older to be able to come from wherever they stay that evening. So um, we tend not to have a lot of our families who are homeless able to walk to school. Uh, it's just typical that shelters or places folks are staying don't happen to be near where they go to school. So we're utilizing, um, our transportation department is utilizing all the tools at their disposal, but, you know, it's an important piece. We think we'd prefer to have uh, stable housing for families, but uh, without the transportation suite of options, uh, these students would be changing school, uh, in some cases weekly or monthly, and that's that's just not uh, tenable for success. So you mentioned federal law. So is there federal or state law about providing transportation for homeless students? There is. Um, students who are homeless have the right to, under the Every Student Succeeds Act, um, transportation. Even in a district, um, this isn't the case in Minnesota, some districts do not provide transportation as a service to students. Um, even in those cases, the federal law says that they must for students who are homeless. And the state has um, complementary law that also would, would ensure that this is happening. But primarily, it's um, you may have heard of Title I. That's a federal education program, which it, this is a part of. And so do those laws prescribe specific ways to get students to school? Or is it agnostic to that and it leaves it up to the school district it, to make that determination? It does leave it up to the school district. Uh, there are some districts I know of, such as um, Chicago or, uh, or New York City, that may rely heavily upon transit systems, even for very young kids, where they'll provide the service to both the parent and the students. So the, the parent can go along. In Minnesota, I would say the vast majority are using school bus reroutes. So they'll have a student who's just outside of their school district. Um, of course, that's kind of the, uh, the more challenging student who's not even in the district. Um, the law still says we shall transport that student. So rerouting a, a bus to pick up that kid first before they run the route is the most common. And then there are a number of uh, contracted transportation companies that have more of a, they're called type three certified. So they're approved by background checks, the same as school bus drivers would be. And they um, are a little more nimble because they are cars or, or buses. So it, it really depends on the district. Uh, there's some flexibility there. There are districts I'm aware of who actually reimburse parents for mileage if they do have a vehicle. So it's a pretty, um, the, the law is not prescriptive to, as to the method. Is there money that comes along with the law? Is there federal funding or state funding dedicated for this issue? The federal money that comes along tends not to cover the transportation costs, um, which is, I think, not atypical for federal education programs. The state does provide some reimbursement for districts, but again, it does not cover the full amount. So in most cases, districts are are using their general fund, the, the fund that they have, uh, it is more flexible to help cover these costs because they are mandated. So how much does do Minneapolis Public Schools spend? Last year, Minneapolis Public Schools reported $8.3 million to transport students who are homeless uh, throughout the school year. For our high school students, uh, we have the opportunity to participate with a go-to school bus card program with the Met Council and, and Metro Transit, and that is a, a very efficient way, which has 
a lot of benefits beyond getting to school. They can use it for getting to shelter. They can use it for appointments. Uh, they can find jobs or go to jobs as long as they're getting to school with it. So that you know is a program that students who are housed also have access to. But we find it's very beneficial for our students who are homeless. And so you find that transportation is also, for these students, an obstacle to getting to the kind of ancillary places that one would need in order to be able to get to school and succeed? Right. The The homeless youth serving world has done a very good job of trying to keep these services as compact as possible. But um, in order to find work, which can often be a barrier for a young person, you know, they're having to go maybe to the mall or a, another place to find a job that they can supplement their family's income or their own income if they're on their own. Um, and then, you know, county services or other kinds of programs, you know, for the most part are along transit lines, but there's always, you know, activities students want to go to, whether it be for their school or a, a sporting event that they may have in a place that's a little further away. So what are the big sort of short-term challenges that you're facing in terms of being able to provide the service? We do have, you know, a bit of a shortage with drivers, school bus drivers. I think we, if we looked at long-term trends and um, how we don't expect homelessness to go away anytime soon, we would, we would likely be heavily investing in, you know, more vehicles, more buses, but we are currently in a school bus driver shortage. I think that's uh, an area that hasn't quite kept up. Um, so trying to find mechanisms through which to transport students is a challenge. And then as a school district, we have um, lent our voice and advocacy to say that uh, more affordable housing, more support services for these students is really the, the, the best way to go because it both cuts out and saves the cost of transportation as well as um, obvious benefit of having stable housing for the student. You also mentioned some subsidized transit for some of these students. So do transit cuts ultimately end up having an impact? Yes, both directly if the, the cost of our, our contract needed to go up because of um, you know funds being cut. But m- most importantly, I think just the level of service. So we, we talked about how um, typically a, a route will be designed to a major high school from a zone where a lot of students come. If you're homeless and you're outside of that zone, you might be talking about two or three transfers. If we're looking down at some route reductions or cutbacks, I think it may expand those those ride times for students or prevent them entirely from being able to access them from places they may stay or need to go. And the city of Minneapolis, um, I understand, is has a kind of initiative in place to build out infrastructure to support biking and walking to schools. Um, in developing that, have do you know, have they engaged this question of how that could be designed to better serve this population of students? Do they take that into consideration? You know, I think given the um, that there is some visibility and we do know we're talking about nearly 10 percent of our students, it's, it's always a consideration. Um, I think the question is what can we do both with my team and, and others to try to make uh, make it possible for students to participate, not necessarily reshaping the, the initiative, but figuring out ways to accommodate so that our students can participate. That might mean getting them transported to the beginning of a bike or walk route or walking school bus so they can at least have that experience finishing up with their school instead of always pulling up in a taxi and having to explain to their friends why, they, why they're why they coming out of a taxi in the morning. 
Are you finding that there are any opportunities that are presented by any of the emerging technologies or services, like um, just providing these students with cell phones or, or taking advantage of different on-demand or, or car share services have, have any potential to solve some of these challenges? Those discussions have, have been happening both from the, the kind of school routing system folks. I know they've paid a lot of attention to this idea of being able to um, more quickly than calling into your school and letting them know your address, tell our system where they are so that we can reroute things in a, an efficient way and prevent them from missing school. Um, I know that you know concepts of, of an on-demand rideshare program have been discussed. I think there's still um, a lot of hesitancy around liability and, and some of the legal barriers there. But you know anything I, I think that would help speed along the process is at least um, worth taking a look at. And we have certainly been a part of those preliminary discussions. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. If people didn't know that your job existed before, we're glad that now they do, because it's a very important one. Good. Thank you very much. Here to There is produced by Apparatus, Transit for Livable Communities, and Studio Americana. Your hosts are Laley Fatahi and Laura Monginsberg. Production and editing by Ian Lovett with Studio Americana. Original music supplied by Bubba Holly. No part of this podcast may be used or reproduced without express written consent of apparatus. To join the ride, subscribe to Here to There at heretotherepodcast.org on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to leave us a review and rating. Stop by the heretotherepodcast.org website for additional content, including extended interviews, an interactive commuting story map, pictures and videos from our commutes, and much more.